Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Bengal Tiger Podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Shay Dixon. Shay, how are you doing um, on this Sunday morning uh, after another crazy day of college football? But obviously, LSU getting its first win over Southern. Yes, a wild day. Jeez, boy, Notre Dame, AM, everyone was going down. Um, but yes, it was. LSU avoided that 65-17 against Southern. First time they've ever played in HBCU. Uh, obviously, first time they've ever played Southern. So it was fitting that the Jaguars came to town. It was a great game day environment. Brian Kelly's first win. So uh, a lot to, I guess, get to uh, here. I know the opponent wasn't one that you feel like, oh, you can do a 30-minute podcast and dissect all these things. But there were some takeaways for us, um, even given it was the Jaguars. Yeah, no, we'll we'll find a way. We'll find a way to make it thirty minutes. <laughs> um, we we don't have to go a whole thirty. Let's see if we can't move fast. Okay. Well, then we need to start fast. This is called a segue, just like LSU. Mm. Brian Kelly said all week that one of the reasons that we lost the FSU game, he said, was because we didn't start. There was no sense of urgency. We lollygagged through about two and a half quarters. We picked it up at the end of the third quarter and then put it on him in the fourth, and it was too little, too late. Uh, Matthew, I don't think I have to talk much more about this other than getting you this stat. LSU almost scored in the first play game. They caused a fumble on the kickoff. Uh, but 37 points, the most point, points ever scored by LSU in a quarter. It happened in the first quarter. You'll take it, right? I mean, if you want them to start fast, they go out and set a record for most points ever scored in a quarter. Yeah, and I mean, the offense did what they were supposed to do. They took advantage of the short fields. They executed. Jaden Daniels ran it in for a touchdown. Um, 
you know, it helped that Southern fumbled the ball on multiple occasions, had the had the pick six. And so you don't get the 37 points in a quarter if not for obviously the other team helping you in that regard. The blocked punt was the extra two points, the cherry on top, uh, so to speak. And then after that, they got the 44-0 real quick. And at that point, and it was balancing. You wanted to continue to push the – you know, push the issue issue a little bit with your backups, but and also not running up the score against your, you know, Southern, which, you know, there's a lot of respect for and, you know, everything like that. And after the celebration that all the fans just had, you know, you didn't want to run it up to where it was 72 to zero. So it was hard finding a balance, I think, for Brian Kelly and them. Uh, fortunately for them, which we'll talk about in a bit, Garrett Nussmeyer just handed Southern like 14 points. So uh, that kind of made everybody feel better for them. So, but it was a fast start. It was good to see. Uh, we'll have to see, you know, how it carries over for Mississippi State next week. I think. Oh, you're muted, by the way. Once a podcast, I shall mute myself. That's that's a good thing. I mute myself so that everybody doesn't have to hear me doing things in the background or whatever else. But then when it's my turn to talk, I often. Yeah, I know you. You love like myself. clicking pins and stuff like that. Everything. So, so uh, okay, there are some takeaways uh, here. Uh, we'll get you kind of mentioned Nussmeyer. We'll get to all that. Let's start here. They said all after the FSU game, they meaning Kelly and the players talked about this, that they were still going to shuffle up the O-line. They weren't set. They wanted to use these opening couple of games and the practices to continue to find a best five. Essentially what happened from game one to game two, Matthew, was Cam Wire was the right tackle. He's out. Miles Frazier moves in at right tackle. Miles Frazier was the left guard. They moved Dellinger to left guard to fit that spot in. Then who plays center? It's Charles Turner, the other guy beyond Dellinger, who we had seen in camp playing center. And it seems Brian Kelly liked it. He said, I thought we were a lot better. I thought our communication was a whole lot better with Charles Turner at center. It kind of sounded like he thought Dellinger was a more natural guard. He felt like Frazier gave him a little bit more at the right tackle spot. So, they continued to mess around with things. Tremont Schwartz got in at guard. Emory Jones got in at guard, uh, who we're big fans of on the show. I think yeah. he's going to eventually start this year. But your takeaway, because for me, and I don't know everything about the nuances of how they looked in practice, but I didn't think they'd go right back to Charles Turner at center because I didn't think Garrett Dellinger played horrible in week one. But I leave that game, and I kind of think, all right, maybe they should stick with Charles Turner at center. They just all seemed a little bit more comfortable. Yeah, I think – there is a difference from Charles Turner to Garrett Dellinger. Obviously, Dellinger is the better blocker. He's a bigger body. But Turner played center throughout the spring, um, had a lot of reps in the fall, even though Dellinger, they put Dellinger in pretty early. I feel like from a communication aspect, which is huge for this offense, Turner's probably the better pure center. You know, he's probably the better one at calling out the reads, calling out the checks, calling out the protections, all that stuff. And so it allows Garrett Dellinger to maybe not have to think as much as he did playing center because it's a new position. You got to snap the ball. You got to make the calls. All of that stuff Charles Turner can do. Now the question is, can Charles Turner hold up against an SEC defensive line, which is what everybody seems to have a question of and a lot of people seem to doubt. So with that being the case, you know, that will he stick with Charles Turner if things get rough for him? And that's what I'm not sure of at this moment because it doesn't feel like even though they like this five, and I think that this was definitely the right move to try, we have to see it in action against an SEC team. This was 
a practice. You know, this was was a scrimmage for for lack of a better word. So, um, I, I like I like the shuffle, and I'm interested to see if they um stick with it um, throughout the season, which I don't know if they will. I think the one thing I'm going to be curious if Shorts doesn't get more involved, if Emory Jones doesn't get more involved, and look. O-line more than any other position, Matt. And I know we're just talking about trying to find the best five, which means weeding out kind of the weaker links or guys who are having a bad game here and there. But beyond that, O-linemen get hurt more than any other position on the field. That's just the nature of playing the position. So I like, too, that they're kind of getting everybody out there, get a feel for it. See, as Brian Kelly said, we want to find that six or seven guys that we feel like we can rely upon, whether – they start or whether they're the two guys who are coming in off the bench, it doesn't matter. It's kind of be ready at all times. If you're in that group and point take, you know, point being a guy like Charles Turner, a week ago, he doesn't even start, doesn't even play this week. He starts and it kind of seems like he might be the guy moving forward at center. So that'll be something to really watch against Mississippi state. I think uh, that's the next opponent, the opening of the sec play uh, a step up in competition, obviously um, it'll, that'll be something I think we're monitoring a good bit. Uh, through the week, but really uh, on game day to see kind of what the ultimate um, musical chairs ends up uh, looking like when the music stops. Uh, yeah. Special teams. I railed them in the in this podcast a week ago. We've had some other podcasts since then. Crushed them. And I thought it was all deservedly so. They were awful in the first game on special teams um, and ultimately cost them the game. If we're saying it went down to that final extra point that they couldn't even get off because they couldn't block. There were no blocked extra points. LSU never had to try to – I don't think they ever tried a field goal, did they? No. No. Wow. I yeah, I didn't think, think they, about that. Um, this is See, this is why I should just do my research before I start, as if I wasn't just I'm, at the game. I appreciate yeah. you. Right. No field goals and punted twice, which was uh, in the second half. Uh, okay, so no field goals, but made all their – when you score 65, you're kicking a lot of extra points. Uh, made them all, got them all off cleanly. All the blocking was good. Didn't have any muff punts, um, but what Gregory Clayton, who yeah. stepped in from Malik Neighbors, and Brian Kelly said, um, I guess during the practices we were at, we didn't see Clayton a ton back I there. I never we, saw, I never saw Clayton, but he he made it sound like he was. Been, he said been Clayton was there all camp, and that data wise, analytics wise, the numbers showed that Neighbors and Clayton were the two best guys. Neighbors obviously is a starter at wide receiver, scholarship kid. Uh, who muffed a couple punts in the opener. Greg Clayton's a kid. He came out of Lutcher um, down the river in 18, went Juco, went to UTSA, played with Frank Wilson over in your old stomping grounds in San Antonio, Matty B, uh, and then transferred in this offseason kind of as a walk-on. I'm not, I'm not sure if they put him on scholarship or not, but they have a lot of extra scholarships they're working with. So, um, But point being, came as a walk-on was really just a special teams coverage guy at UTSA. It wasn't like he was at UTSA, like lighting up the receiver scoreboard as an, you know, and an all conference kick returner. He kind of just a guy they worked into the position and uh, he caught it really cleanly. I asked Brian Kelly after the game, what went into that? He obviously circled kind of the numbers and said, Clayton and neighbors are, are the two best we've got, but I don't know. You give me your take. You were there. It sounded, he came with the, we gave neighbors a week off, but it might be neighbors again next week. So well, I'm we not sure which it. direction they go. Yeah, well, we talked about it last podcast, and we were like, this is the game you just put neighbors out there to get his confidence back up. So I don't really understand. 
I don't really understand the approach of giving him the week off because it's not like it's not, this isn't something that rest fixes. This is something that repetitions fix. This is something that getting confidence fixes. So I can't see them benching Malik neighbors for the Southern game and then putting him back out there for the Mississippi state game. That would make little to no sense to me. I, I can't 100%. see it at all. So that, that answer didn't make sense. Um, I mean, just stick with Gregory Clayton at this point. You don't need a, you don't need the next Odell Beckham back there returning punts. You just need to not fumble it. And if Gregory Clayton can catch the ball and fair catch it or be the smart guy and point it and get out the way, then he's the returner. Then that's that's yeah. not a big deal. I think that I almost felt like because of how you're saying it, like I would have played neighbors back there tonight if you have a goal of or last night, Saturday night, if you have a goal of playing forward, exactly what you just said. Um, and it wasn't like Neighbors got the game off like B.J. Ojolari did. He literally played a half of the game because he was one of the starters at receiver. It almost felt like he was saying that to keep Neighbors. Like, if Neighbors hears this from the press conference, I'd like him to stay engaged and enter this week knowing, hey, man, you might be back there again. Uh, and I could understand that. And maybe he does get back there. But if they made the decision in their mind, hey, look, if Greg Clayton goes out and plays a clean game, we're sticking with him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked by that. That means they, in their mind, were ready to move past neighbors. So that will be something interesting to watch against Mississippi State. Points will be at a premium in that one, or at least it should be a tight game. Um, we'll see kind of how high scoring it can get. But special teams will mean more next week than it did to, uh, on Saturday night. But I liked – hey, look, and I said they blocked, they blocked a punt. It should have been for uh, a touchdown, but Evan Francioni, my guy – I don't know if he's listening to the pod. I'm a big fan because we always hear his name, Matty B. They're like the best walk-on wide receivers, Evan Francione. Yep. A dude, they block the punt. The ball sitting's just at like the three or four-yard line. He's running towards the student section. It doesn't get any more picturesque for a walk-on alignment. They teach you. I'm sure Brian Pullen's down there screaming, fall on the football. You fall on it right there. It's easy to get. You'll score in a couple of plays later. My man, Evan Franchione, big ups, went for the scoop and score. And by doing that, he mishandled it. And then he kicked it outside of the end zone. It at least got them a safety. Uh, so it got them points and the ball back. Um, so technically, in my mind, Evan Franchione, two points on the board. Two points for him. Two points. Not the full 100%. seven. But no. Not the full no. seven. But, I mean. You I can't blame him. That's exactly what I would do. Dog, it's a blow, it was already a blowout. It was thirty-five to zero. It was thirty-five to zero in the first quarter. If I if I see a blocked punt and I'm running towards the end zone, like you said, student section filled up right in front of me, I'm getting up football and scoring a touchdown, and then running to the student section and holding the ball up, and then like showing my name so that way y'all can see all my names and see my my Instagram tag or something. It's like uh. Yeah, right. It was great. Lift up your shirt and reveal all your social media tags. <laughs> Follow me here. It was there's a great, I'm not sure if it was on LSU Sports.net. I don't know if there's a photo gallery I was looking at, or maybe it was just a replay. But if you actually see it from the other side, all of the scholarship guys, like I think it might have been like Desmond Little or some other guys who were on special teams with him, were like already celebrating for him. Like, oh my God, Fred Judy's about to score a touchdown and like he's in the middle of like kicking it out of the end zone and they're just immediately like, no. And I think even Desmond Little or one of them like full on dive to Xavier Carter yeah. dives for the ball with him, like try for him anything. But 
Maybe another day for Evan Franchione. Not not less. But two points on the board. Uh, I love special teams. They played great. I mean, forcing that opening fumble on the kickoff, successfully punting the ball a couple of times, obviously never having to kick a field goal. It was nothing to, to worry. I would have been panicking had they gone out there and still not known how to block an extra point. Like, that would have been so bad, and none of that happened. Yeah. Um, let's touch here. What did you think of Butte? I thought it was – Reasonable. It was. It went exactly how I expected it to go. I. I literally probably if I could have guessed the stat line or something like that, this I probably would have had a touchdown here somewhere. But five receptions for forty-two yards and one run for forty-one yards. Basically, only playing a quarter. Played a little bit in the second, I think. But I mean, to get eighty-three yards in a quarter, that's pretty much how I would have expected it to go. And they force-fed him. They had the little yeah. jet sweeps. They had little reverses. They. Gave him the ball as much as possible. And then Brian Kelly, I thought, had gave a great answer after the game, would say that the way Florida State played him, A, it sounded like it caught him off guard with, with how, like, off covered the off coverage they were they were given Butte. But with that being the case, you just got to give him the ball, um, like, early in situations, early in downs, and kind of just let him make plays off that. Yeah, no, I liked, uh, I liked how right out of the gates – Offensive coordinator Mike Denbrock had the script ready. They were force feeding Butte. He caught the first two attempt pass attempts. As you noted, I think it was probably the third drive. They gave him uh, the play where it kind of handoff. I don't, I don't remember if it was a pitch play or a handoff. It was like I think he had two. Well, he, there was one where it was a little sh- uh, shuffle pass, right, where he was came come across as a jet sweep. And then I thought there was another one where it was just a handoff. Um, yeah, that would have been counted as the run then. The run. So a forty-something yeah. yard run on that one, which I think was in the third uh, possession of the game, still in the first quarter. So you knew going in, if you're Denbrock, I don't have all night to get Keishon Butte involved, and I want to get him involved because he's our best receiver, and he was the least involved in the first game of the starters. So you got about a quarter, and I thought they made the the best use they could have out of that quarter by letting him get handoffs, throwing him the football, letting him just kind of get out there. Um, it, it seemed like everybody else got me into accept him. So, but his right. time even shall Jack, come. Even Jack Besh, who had one reception again, this time for 17 yards, but it was a touchdown. So. Yes. Okay. Go. And I Jack, guess look, before we I move just, on to. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say Jack Besh is now at two receptions for 22 yards, but with one touchdown on the season. So we'll see if he continues to get more involved well yeah and look people are going to say like oh you get bash more involved like trey jenkins was the star a week ago and he didn't even get a target on in the first game like once they got past the first quarter it was kind of yeah. like hey everyone go sit on the sidelines now and we'll the you know we're gonna play kyron lacy and chris hilton and some other guys at receiver um so i wouldn't I wouldn't be pressing any panic buttons there. It's just good that Besh was out there. That was probably Daniel's best play of the night. I mean, it was a third down. He mm-hmm. stayed in the pocket. He climbs the pocket. He ends up keeping his eyes downfield. He sort of scrambles a little to the left and then makes a throw on the run. Uh, Besh makes a nice play to kind of get down and secure it. I wouldn't call it a diving catch, but he went down and, yeah. and made sure he got it. So uh, liked that a lot. Touchdown, touchdown turned gritty for Jack. I was gonna Besh. ask. I was gonna ask you to rate his gritty. Dog, if you're gritty in on Southern, that's a 10. That's just bold strategy right there. But he wasn't worried about it. He did it. So he's been 10. waiting for it. Oh, he's, he's, yeah, since last year, he's been waiting to gritty, gritty again. Um, 
The receiver numbers before we move on here to a couple of guys on defense, nothing like wild. Chris Hilton uh, and Butte led the way with uh, five catches each, both in the 40-yard range. Neighbors, three for 81 and a touchdown, including uh, or see a long of 60, which was a, a huge play. Brian Thomas with a long of 44 uh, on a couple of catches and a touchdown. He, he sort of We'll talk about Nussmeyer in a minute, too, and the quarterbacks briefly. But uh, Nussmeyer threw a great ball on that one. And Brian Thomas went down and got it, uh, scored the touchdown. Let's see. As you said, Besh, one catch, 17 yards. Lacey had two catches for 29 yards. My man Francione, one catch, 14 yards. Uh, Mason Taylor, Jack Bashburn, Cole Taylor, all your tight ends each had one catch on. Uh, well, yeah, one catch each. Cole Taylor actually had one catch on three targets, which – um, we'll be curious to see kind of how he's used moving forward, but about what I expected, the receivers were not going to play very, not this, your main couple of receivers, few receivers were not going to play very long. They got in, they got out, all of them stayed healthy. Um, beyond Colby Richardson, who we'll hear an update on this week, he's a cornerback, the McNeese transfer, who has been starting for them. He got banged up in that game, and, and then I kind of just forgot about it. I don't remember. He didn't like get carried off, but uh, he didn't come back in after that, so I think yeah. that was the only injury we kind of heard about. So not not a wild night, nothing like crazy to write home no. about on offense beyond they just kept doing their job and, you know, it, what kind of was what it was. Well, it Here, got we'll kind of wild. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Let's flip this <laughs> in because we have Baskerville up next and then Nuss Daniels, then we'll close out with some Harold Perkins and defense thoughts. So let's flip it. Nuss Daniels, I'll give you the Daniels side. Go ahead. 10 of 11 passing, 137. Through the air, three touchdowns. He ran the ball for 18, 18 yards. yards and a touchdown, which that 18 yards is all in one play, which is a nice play at the very beginning that uh, got him the score, the very first score of the game, sort of made something out of nothing there. Uh, but incredibly efficient. I think now over two games, he's like over 50 attempts. He's an 80% passer, which will go down. I mean, it's no, no one's sitting at 80% for a year. That would be an NCAA record. Uh, it's been great. Hadn't turned the ball over. But there were still people saying, put in Nuss, put in Nuss. There, that quarterback battle was close. Bruni, were we being lied to? Was the quarter it, was the quarterback battle close? No, I'm being serious here because I think okay. Nussmeier is a fine quarterback. Is Nussmeier just getting in the game knowing, okay, I'm second string, so like, I'm going to try to do the most right now? Because the two turnovers, Maddie B., those that can go down a, about as bad of two turnovers as a quarterback can have. Like, textbook, do not do this. And it's the same stuff he did last year when we sort of just wrote it off as, bro, he's the third stringer. He doesn't care. He knows he – what is he going to do? Be four stringer now? He's yeah. not playing this year. He's taking a red shirt. He's just going to wild out when he gets out there. He loves it. I thought that, like, that fun, like, crazy gunslinger element would go away this year. But it was the exact same approach as it was last year, almost like, oh, man, I'm in the game now, and i got to make something happen. I, th- I think that you worded that really well um, at the end. It feels like he's still at the point where he's in awe of being in the game. And that's where what that, that's the stage he has to mentally get over. He has to mentally get over being like, oh, I'm in the game. Like, let's make something happen. Like, this is, this is my chance. Or, you know, he's still wide-eyed at the opportunity still. And that's what you cannot have. And that's what I thought he was over. He talked about that 
he talked about throughout the offseason, he was like, I don't want to be labeled as a gunslinger anymore. I really want to just manage games, you know, get the ball to my playmakers, all that cliche talk. And then he goes out there and acts like he's Brett Favre's son. Like he just slings it around. He had the great throw, the one great throw about 40 yards down the field to the right, um, to the right sideline. Beautiful throw. And you're just like, Garrett, if you don't turn the ball over and if you don't throw the ball, if you just throw the ball away on those two plays, we're looking at the night being like, okay, he was fine. He wasn't great uh, outside of those two plays, but he was fine. And he had the one highlight throw that everybody can hold on to. But instead, he, again, he's just wide-eyed, tries to make something out of nothing, and makes inexcusable turnovers. Absolutely inexcusable turnovers, those two. I mean, one being a pick six, I I thought was appropriate with how bad the turnover was, just handing them the ball. He might as well have handed them the ball physically. He just pitched it to him as he's falling down. And there was no worry. It, it, it almost felt to me like the Max Johnson UCLA, I threw it behind my back in the middle of the game down the field where it was like, dude, you're getting tackled. Like, what are you, what's going on here? It was, and look, I know it's actually, that's not the excuse. That actually makes my point. It's Southern and they're winning by like 40 and he's playing like that. Like he's like, Oh, well they, you know, if I throw this into their hands and they pick six and it doesn't really matter because we're not, they're not going to beat us. So I'm just going to kind of keep doing that. I'd imagine he's going to have a long talk with Joe Sloan uh, this week when they go over film about exactly what you said, shedding this. You've got to get over this hump of I'm in the game now and I got to make, I need to do something that shows that I should be playing more. And it's like, I need to go out and and make all these plays and be Superman. Side note, Brett Favre already has a son, Dylan Favre, uh, who played at Stanislaus as a quarterback before Brennan did. Brennan broke a bunch of his records. So now you're educated on that one. Wow. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. That's so. Let's put let's put it in right. We one guy looks like he started thirty one college football games. Yeah. The other guy looks like he's never started a college football game before, because that's the reality of the situation we're in with the starter and the backup. Like there should be zero clamoring from any fan moving forward as to if they made the right choice or not at quarterback. Yeah, and this wasn't to me. And I don't know, maybe some other people. I obviously, I made a whole video on why I thought Nussmeyer should be the starter before camp. Like, I, I was very much on the Nussmeyer starting um, before camp and in the early portion of camp. And, and um, I said that he was the most talented quarterback, which, you know, I'll, I'll stand by to a degree. But this wasn't one of those situations that when Daniel started, I was still like, Nussmeyer should be the guy. Like, I was never saying it should have been Nussmeyer even when Daniels was named the starter because it made sense for Daniels to be the starter. It made sense from his running ability. It made sense from his experience. And I think from everything we saw in fall camp, it just made sense. So while I, yes, the Nussbus, I was directing it, driving it. Me and my boy Glenn, we were on it 100%. But at the end of the day, y'all, y'all done run out of gas right now. It boys. Made y'all sense just chill. why Daniels was the starter, and now it is a hundred percent. Yes, Jaden Daniels is the starter, and I think it's okay. Garrett still has a lot of learning to do. I think he can still be a good quarterback, but it's the mental side of it for me that was really disheartening to see is that you still don't understand how valuable every possession is, and so th- we'll see if he grows out of that. Yeah, look, and again, I'll go back to it before we, before we wrap up here. One is a senior who started 31 games. The other is a redshirt freshman who has played as a backup in like four games or whatever, five games. 
yeah, is what and, it is right now. Yeah, and I thought he was fine. Again, again, those two turnovers just completely, completely overshadow everything else he did, and for good reason. I thought he was fine on those drives in between. I thought he was fine on the drive after uh, the, the horrible turnover because he had one more drive after that. But it's just like you can't make those mistakes. You can't. So let's talk. Uh, let's talk defense. Let's talk Harold Perkins real quick because I thought it was interesting for him at the jack position, and it doesn't surprise me because he's so athletic. Um, I don't. I think he'll have to grow into that spot if he wants to play jack in the coming years. You know, physically, I think there's still some room. He's not BJ Ojolari yet off the edge. I think he still looks more like one of those inside linebacker guys, but he is very athletic, very versatile, um, and that's a huge tool to have um, on your defense. So it was good to see Harold out there. I I need to go back. I do, I do want to correct one thing I said earlier in the pod for people who thought I misspoke, which I did. I said that uh, Nussmeyer threw that ball to Brian Thomas for the touchdown. That was actually Daniels. I think that was his last play of the game, and then they took him out after that. It was like 50-something. Yeah, Nuss didn't have a touchdown. Nuss did not have a touchdown. I just looked at that, and I remembered I actually credited him with a touchdown that never happened. Um, So, yeah, Baskerville, game ball. They gave a game ball to Kelly, too, uh, B. Joe Gilari. Uh, LSU put out um, a video of Ojolari giving him his first win game ball. Uh, As Kelly noted, they gave the game ball to Baskerville who we're presuming is going to take on a bigger role as time goes on. Like we haven't seen LSU starters at linebacker, Mike Jones, Greg Penn played a little bit better, but they haven't like, they're not Devin white out there. They don't have spots just automatically locked in. If they do want to start playing Baskerville more in the middle and not just dime stuff, they certainly can. Uh, But you like to see that buy-in from a fifth year senior who came back, like I said, for a fifth year after missing time last year and ends up um, kind of playing a special team slash backup kind of pass game role uh, and rewarded by it with that pick six. So I like that a good bit. Uh, what, anything on de- we got to wrap up here. Anything on defense stood out to you? Uh, I was wrong on this. People said, Hey, they should move Harold Perkins to Jack but with Ojolari out. Let him just do some rushing off the edge. It's simple. I kind of thought they would stick with Perkins at linebacker, like a middle backer to try to move him along there. Uh, but the fan fans were correct on this one. Matt house put, Harold Perkins at the Jack, right? Yeah, I I think it's interesting because uh, there's probably a lot more to process at an inside linebacker position, which is where Harold's inexperience might hinder him to a degree. And I understand wanting him on the field because of talent. Well, if you want to get him on the field, I think at the Jack position against Southern might be the easiest position. It's like, go rush the passer. Like, go make plays off the edge. You know, go um, right. Stop the run. So I feel like maybe it's a simplified position. Obviously, no position, all positions require thinking to a degree. But, you know, against Southern, you can just throw him out there and him not have to worry about run gap fits. And, you know, I have this in the past game and all this stuff. Just go, if it's a pass play, rush the passer. If it's a run play, go make a tackle. So no doubt. Perkins finished uh, again. A lot of starters came out. So, uh, but the top tacklers were a bunch of backups, which is a good thing to see. Perkins had seven. Desmond Little, uh, linebacker, another Jack, uh, had yep. six. Uh, Weeks had six as well, a backup linebacker. Savion Jones at the end had six. Quillen Roy had five, and you could go down the list. Uh, my only note, I thought Savion Jones, as a sophomore out of St. James, looked really good. And Brian Kelly said afterwards that there were points in spring ball where like a day would go by and Savion was the best. He was like, Savion would be the most consistent D lineman we had. And they hoped that would carry over in the fall camp. It did. But he said, Hey, look, 
by the time you actually start prepping for the season, you're like, this kid can play, but he's sitting behind Ali Gay and BJ Ojolari, who are essentially two of our best edge rushers on the team. They are the two best edge rushers on the team. So those guys get to start. That pushes Savion to second team. Uh, and as Kelly said, that kind of cut down on his reps a little bit. He didn't have that same impact he did in the spring, uh, but said, hey, look, don't forget about this guy, because anytime we put him out there, he knows what he's doing. He was a great player at St. James, highly ranked by the recruiting services, and uh, now we're kind of getting a taste of, of what he can do on the field. So I liked that he had a big game with uh, Gay was out for a half. Ojolari set out the whole game. That gave him a lot of run. Uh, and now it's clear, look, you got to find answers on this D-line to make up for the production of Mason Smith. And I know that's a loss in the interior. These guys play on the edge, but you'll take anything you can get. So bringing along a Savion Jones, I thought was good for him. Yeah. Well, that's all I had. Uh, you have anything else that's here before we wrap it up? Oh, um, that's it. Game day traffic. I was going to ask you, how long did it take you to get home, Matty B? It took me an hour. But I left like probably an hour after the game ended. When did – I don't know. We left about the same time. Yeah, I left – I think I left a little bit before you. But it took me It took me a good 45 to 50 or so to get to get back. So it was it was rough. It was that rough. was your I'll, longest to date. You've only been in the game here a year and a half – or a year and two games now. But this was your – this is your biggest traffic experience yet? Let's just say I, I hope no um, traffic police are listening, but I definitely had the Baylor-BYU game on my phone just on, on the side here as I was like, okay, and just inching yep. forward. I think slowly. that's why everybody was moving slowly. They were all in there watching their phones or doing whatever. Texting, tweeting. Yeah, yep, so absolutely. Uh, there you go. Um, that, real quick, the halftime show was tremendous. I Awesome. I mean, I've obviously only been at LSU for – this is my second year, but – that was awesome for for both bands to go and then them come together. Psh, loved it. Loved every yep. second of it. And, and every uh, it was probably the least amount of money they've ever made on halftime concessions because I don't think anybody got up. Everybody it was seated. It was packed. And then you could tell I was thinking in my head, I was like, after the halftime show, the third quarter, just psh, the attendance, just whoo, everybody just went home, which I was like, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. After that, that's all you needed to see. All right, that's all we have for y'all today. We hope y'all enjoyed it. Subscribe to the YouTube um, tomorrow, Monday mailbag. So uh, we will submit our, we'll post on the, our board for questions. We'll answer those tomorrow. Tuesday, recruiting podcast and uh, Wednesday, guest show. And then it'll be time for Mississippi State. So we'll get into the preview from there. That's the schedule. Um, leave us a five star rating and review wherever you're listening. Subscribe on the YouTube. Again, like I said, we're getting close to 900, and we've only been doing this for a few weeks, um, really, as, as far as full-time goes. So we appreciate you all for joining us, and we'll talk to you all later. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. 
Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-427 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.